welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Welcome to this installment of the People, Places, Planet miniseries, celebrating the winners of the 2023 National Wetlands Awards. My name is Georgia Ray, and I am your host. The National Wetlands Awards are presented annually to individuals who have excelled in wetlands protection, restoration, and education. Through coordinated media outreach, educational events, and an award ceremony in Washington, D.C., awardees receive national recognition and attention for their outstanding efforts. Today, I will be speaking with Rebecca Swadek, this year's Wetlands Program Development Award winner. Rebecca leads the wetlands program at the New York City Department of Parks and Recreation. She has taken the lead role in securing over $22 million in city and grant funding to implement wetlands projects, co-authored seven agency reports related to wetland, watershed, and stream management, and overseen a program that restored and maintained over 85 acres of wetlands. In 2021, she co-authored the Wetlands Management Framework for New York City, a 30-year plan for the continued protection, restoration, and care of city wetlands. Her many noteworthy accomplishments include maintaining a restoration opportunities inventory, an internal database tracking and prioritizing restoration opportunities, and creating the city's first-ever wetland mitigation bank in Staten Island. Rebecca's work has also furthered wetlands public awareness and engagement, notably through her oversight of the development of a new public wetlands map for New York City. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Biology from Texas A&M and a Master of Science in Environmental Science from TCU. She is also a certified ecological restoration practitioner through the Society for Ecological Restoration. Rebecca, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me today. And to start us off, can you give us an overview of your wetlands work? Sure. So I... I feel like I have a pretty broad brush of wetlands in New York City. Basically, anything that touches a, a wetland or nearly touches a wetland or water, I, I have a little bit of a hand in. My, I have a team of engineers, scientists, GIS professionals, et cetera, et cetera, working on you know direct protection of wetlands, but also then looking more more broadly into the built landscape to see how we can protect wetlands. On the flip side of that, my part of my team is also responsible for mapping our sewer system because that's a huge source of you know floatable pollutants and and other ways that can impact our our waterways. I also really deal with a lot that happens on the waterfront. It's technically, you know, wetland, but not necessarily what you would consider like a vegetated wetland, regulated as a wetland, but all of those impacts, mostly through repair of a century-old infrastructure, often requires wetland mitigation. So that's also when I I get involved. So pretty broad brush of anything that has to do with wetlands or water in the city. Yeah, that sounds exciting. And and what inspired you to get involved with wetlands work in the first place? That's a good question. Growing up as a little kid, we went to the mountains in New Mexico every summer. And I remember spending many of my evenings just sitting, listening to the river flow and reading a book outside. I went hiking with my dad. Begrudgingly, he was fishing. I would find a rock and read, <laughs> and um, was not a was not a fisher person. But it got me outside and really just. It always 
enjoyed being out in in nature. And so in college, I ended up majoring in biology, trying to get a little bit closer to the to the natural world and trying to figure out how I could get my biology degree without spending time in a hospital or a lab. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up, since I went to Texas A&M, it was a range school and an ag school, and I was able to take a lot of more kind of environmental science classes and a lot of more kind of agronomy-related, plant ecology, botany, etc. My undergrad botany professor taught us a lot about the first, I guess, class that I took with him was people and plants. And so we learned how people have interacted with plants culturally. And that was kind of what got me hooked, essentially. I don't think I intended necessarily to go to grad school when I did, because I don't think I really knew what I wanted to do exactly. I don't know that many 22-year-olds really do, but ended up going to grad school and had a really, really great professor who actually, uh, Tony Burgess worked on the biosphere out in Tucson for many years. And so he had a, a very interesting kind of philosophy of how people interact with land and how, you know, we can harness and respect nature to, to help it help us live. And so I really got into more kind of applied work from that from that standpoint. But one of my first kind of like formative experiences, I think, was doing my master's thesis. And one of my favorite field sites I remember visiting for one of the last times, and it was going to be developed to have a gas station put on it. And I remember being able to stand there seeing this beautiful seep, this beautiful headwater that was not protected by regulations for, for various reasons. And I, I remember seeing to myself, like, if you just did this, if you just pushed it up the hill a little bit, like, this wouldn't have to happen. And I think that's kind of the, the linchpin that made me realize that I needed to kind of take a more practical track with, with my career. That makes a lot of sense how that navigated your career in a certain direction. And now you're in New York City, which is such an interesting case study for wetland restoration. And it's one that strikes me as particularly challenging. I mean, it's famously a concrete jungle. You don't really think of that as vibing with with wetland conservation. But it's also a place that's synonymous with great opportunity and often leads the way in innovation for other American and international cities. So what is it like working in that space of simultaneous opportunity and obstacle? For sure. New York City has about 520 miles of shoreline. It is literally a city of water. It's got more shoreline than any city in the country and historically was predominantly wetland. So where it floods today is where wetlands used to exist or in some very rare cases still exist. There's about 10% of wetlands even remaining in the city from uh, compared to historical contexts. And there's certainly a lot of opportunity, but there's also a lot of constraints. There's a lot of challenges associated with that. And, you know, also almost 9 million people that you have to think about with a lot of those kind of like larger scale decisions. And there are many, many pockets of the shoreline that are undeveloped now or, you know, were developed and have been abandoned for, for various reasons. So there's a lot of really cool opportunities to kind of create little, you know, pocket wetlands or pocket shorelines in people's communities and people's backyards where they can really experience them in a way that is 
you know, not just an abandoned, ugly, derelict pile of concrete <laughs> that they might have been looking at for for ways. But it also um, provides a lot of challenges often, you know, doing large scale construction like that sometimes in people's backyard. But also you can make some really great connections with people who are going to turn into really great advocates. Mm-hmm. So certainly a lot of challenges, but definitely a lot of opportunities, too. And I feel like that answer really focused on kind of the individual level, but you've also worked on this wetlands management framework, which takes a much broader perspective. So how has that set the city up for success in coming years? Sure. So uh, the framework itself was really developed based on several intensive years of data collection. Um, So we did an ecological assessment of some freshwater wetlands, uh, streams, and salt marshes over the from about... mm, 2013 to 2018, I guess. And we collated all of that data together to kind of come up with an axis of health and threat or condition and vulnerability to each one of those wetland types. So we can see what's in good condition without that many threats and poor condition with a lot of threats and make management decisions based off of those. So that's really what the the framework tells us is like where we need to do work and what type of work needs to be done based on that kind of matrix. And it's a framework, not a plan, because it allows us to be adaptable to respond nimbly to funding decisions, but ultimately it communicates why wetlands are important, why they're at risk, and you know what we need to do to continue to manage them and protect them from a policy standpoint, also down to the you know individual land management standpoint, what restoration is needed, and also, you know, what opportunities for stewardship and and access look like, too. So while it doesn't provide a very specific dollar number for what that means, just, again, because it's meant to be adaptable, you know, we have a general idea of, you know, orders of magnitude, millions of dollars in staffing that are required to be able to really do this well. Mm -hmm. And so we've, at this point, I think it was released in 2021, and We've been able to use that to knock off some priority projects. But what it really allowed us to also do was after Hurricane Ida hit the city in late 2021, we we had this document that said, okay, here's, you know, here's where this was, here's where we had flooding, here's where we have restoration opportunities, and here's the staff that we need to be able to do this. So it really allowed us to respond to a a funding request within a day with some concrete evidence, which is really exciting. So Yeah, that's great. And I think speaks to the point you made about it being a flexible framework that you yeah. can apply to those unforeseen situations. So the public wetlands map project, mm-hmm. is that nested within this framework or is that something totally different? Yes and no. One of the recommendations for the wetlands management framework from a policy standpoint was having updated maps. So right now, New York State has tidal wetlands maps that were drawn in 1974, but they're, I would say, a little bit more flexible as far as where wetlands exist and how the regulators can apply them. The freshwater maps are a little bit more stringent. For wetlands in New York State to be regulated, they have to be larger than 12.4 acres, which in the city you can imagine is challenging, and or they have to be designated as unusual local importance, which many of our urban wetlands are, and they have to be on a physical map. And that map was drawn in roughly 1987, so it is roughly 
36 years old. And wetlands are dynamic. They change, they move, they shift a little bit as hydrological processes change over time, climate change, etc. And one of the things that we have always recommended for the city was having an updated map that basically just says, here's where wetlands are so we know where to protect them. Like you can't protect what you don't know exists. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of starting at that very basic level. In this last budget cycle, so it would have been 2022, the state's actually updating the freshwater wetland law to not rely so significantly on the map, which is really, really great. But this kind of happened simultaneously. So we had applied for an EPA wetland program development grant in 2015 that was funded, and we commissioned a new remote sensing map to be made for New York City. And we've ground truthed about 85% of that, and that's what this public wetlands map says. It's basically, here's where we think a wetland is based on this remote sensing process. So it's most likely here. Here's an area that we've actually ground truth, and here's an area that we've delineated, and then this is what the wetland type is. And so you can actually view that map Somewhat interactively, it doesn't have all of the information there. You can download all of the information on New York City Open Data if you would like to actually use the map in like a GIS context. But you can also, if you're just a member of the public and kind of want to browse around, our partners at the Natural Areas Conservancy have it up on their website. And you can click around by borough or by park, et cetera, and see see where these are. So. That seems like a really fun tool for the public to be able to use, and I hope some of our listeners make use of it. Well, that was my final question, so thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you, so please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.